You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Kensington. We also want to welcome those of you who have joined us online. We're so glad that you're going to spend this hour with us. And it's going to be a really special hour. That's why I'm dressed kind of weird today. I don't know if you've seen these shirts around uh, all in. There's a whole group over there. So today's a baptism day where we're going to have the chance to celebrate, right, and have joy with uh, men and women and some young uh, children as well who are going to be baptized. And so more about that in just a, just a minute. Um, if you're new, first time, please stop by the Hub. Let us get to know you at the Hub. You'll see the orange shirts hovering out there. They're not frightening people. They're wonderful, welcoming people. We'd love to just find out who you are and see if you have any questions for us about Kensington Church. Next Sunday, special day, what is it? Mother's Day. Mother's Day. First service, too. All the women tell. I don't hear the men talking much. Mother's Day. So get on the job, the cards, the gifts, whatever. But there's one way you can help us for our service next Sunday, and that would be by sending to us a picture of your mom, or it could be husbands, the wife of your children, um, to that address right there, uh, Liana Sharoka. Probably pronounced that wrong at kensingtonchurch.org. She's putting together pictures that we want to show on the screen as part of our service. So if you want to be on the big screen, take one with your mom. We'd like to see the kids as well, family, whatever picture you want to send in. I only have one piece of advice. Women, you send the picture in. Not Don't let the men do it because I don't want any fights breaking out here in the auditorium next Sunday. I, I made the mistake of posting some pictures on Facebook of our family, and my wife sees it and says, why in the world would you have picked that picture? And, of course, here's why. Because when you see a picture, what do you do? You do this, and you zoom in on yourself, right? So I didn't notice that her eyes were closed or cross-eyed or whatever she was doing. So send us, send us pictures. Women, you pick the picture. Well, I do have one, one thing I want to share with you as we start today. Um, my heart's been really heavy, as I'm sure your has, as we've watched this last week, what's happening in the country of India with the absolute explosion of COVID-19 and you know, I've, I've made 20-some trips there, and I feared from the beginning that this might happen, and then it didn't for so long because of the dense population there and the poor sanitary conditions and lack of medical care. But now it's hit them, like, really hard. In fact, they're, they're averaging almost 500,000 new cases every day. And uh, when I checked yesterday, the rate of death is every minute two people die of COVID in India, so 24-7. So this is a huge crisis, and it means a lot to me and to us as a church because in the year 2000, Steve Andrews, the founding pastor of Kensington and I, uh, we went to India on an exploratory trip and met Jaya Sankar, and they became our first global partners. So we've been working for 21 years in India. We built orphanage, school, uh, elderly home, and our biggest undertaking was the hospital because hospitals are very hard to make sustainable. But we wanted to have a place where the poor in that community could come, not be charged, and they could be cared for. And so I want to show you a picture of a piece of property that we bought in 2007. Um, and that's Jaya with me dedicating the hospital. And then it took a lot of years to get all the resources together. And then in 2011, through the transformation campaign, many of you were a part of that here. We raised money both for our own work here in our community, but also overseas. And so in 2011, you can see the picture taken that I took of the hospital uh, as it was completed. And so uh, that is mostly what we've been doing there is OBGYN, women go into birth, uh, cesarean is necessary, they often die, the child dies, they don't have medical care. So I cannot tell you how many babies we've delivered there, it's just been unbelievable. But the rest of the house is, hospital stayed kind of dormant, we haven't kind of figured it out yet. So we're excited that, that last week the Indian government came and approved uh, this hospital as a dedicated COVID-19 COVID hospital. 
And what that means is that as of right now, every bed on every floor is, has a patient in it who's struggling for their life. So um, we asked Jaya, well, how can we help? And he said, well, we don't have the supplies or resources, ventilators, oxygen, medicine, personal protection equipment uh, for the staff, all of that. By the way, two of the doctors that work in the hospital are Jaya's children. Son and daughter both grew up. I watched them when they grew up from you know, their, their early years into now being doctors. And so we have a chance to care for them. So how many of you got the email we sent out this week? All right, now get ready, get ready to clap because we said the need is $51,000 and we're going to send every penny there. We're not keeping anything here to India to uh, meet the needs. And within a few days, we hit the goal. Isn't that amazing? You guys are so unbelievable. And it's what, what I've always loved about this church is that we find a way to respond. When there's a need, we find a way to give. And so we're excited about that. So we're going to give you an opportunity if you didn't participate even though we hit our goal, because we know this is going to go on for a very long time. And Jaya, he's a visionary, he's a dreamer, so he said he wants to find room for more beds. He wants to feed the poor because people are not working now, so they have no food, so he wants to feed. He has so many dreams, and so we're going to continue to raise money to be his partner. So if you'd like to give, um, there's a real simple way you can give. You can uh, go to our website and go kensingtonchurch.org and then India COVID Relief, and that will bring you to a page where you can give. Or right on your phone, you can text... Uh, the words Kensington Special to 77977. So thank you for being part of feeding people, helping people physically and spiritually way on the other side of the world. You guys are just too, too awesome. Well, as I said, today is baptism. It's one of our favorite uh, services that we do several times throughout the year. Um, and we actually are doing it right here on stage. Um, that's what the big tub is behind me is for. And it's really um, a celebration of a God who pursues, a God who loves, a God who goes after, and a God who forgives. And that word forgiveness, forgiveness, there's nothing quite like the sweetness of God's forgiveness. to 
I think the word forgive or forgiveness is one of the most powerful words in our language. As you heard the words, maybe as you sang along and you spoke the word, wasn't there something going on in your heart? And it really is the core message of the gospel. We have, we have a lot of other words we talk about, but the reality is the core idea here is that as far as east is from the west, that's how far God has separated us from our sins forever. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he was summing up the gospel, um, he said he's given to us who know Jesus now, the ministry of reconciliation, that we should go tell the world this message, that God is not counting your sins against you. And that's really what we're celebrating today in baptism. Some, some men and women um, who have experienced this in our following Jesus in baptism. There was a moment at the end of Jesus' time here on earth. For three years, he had spent time mainly with 12, we call them disciples. I like the word apprentice, apprentices because an apprentice is someone who doesn't read a book and learn and doesn't listen to just lectures, but actually gets alongside the master teacher and learns, in this case, how to live and how to love. And so in this last moment, before he's, Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, he gathers them around. Try to picture this moment and picture what's at stake. Jesus has been training them. There's a new kingdom. There's a new way of life, and it's about loving God and loving your neighbor. I want you now to go spread the message. In fact, this is the way he said it in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go into all the worlds, go to all nations, right, and make disciples or make apprentices, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I, in my mind's eye, I just picture Jesus looking at all the disciples in the eye, Peter and Andrew and all of them, Matthew, just in realizing, I'm handing you the baton now. Now it's your turn. I'm leaving. It's up to you. You've got to do it. And their job was to go and introduce people to Jesus and make them apprentices who would follow Jesus, and then they would baptize them to symbolize that. And then they, in turn, would go make apprentices and so on and so on and so on, all the way up till today. That's why you're here. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're here because they did it. Generation after generation after generation. And now it's our turn to be making apprentices or disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So baptism, what is it? To me, it was given to us as a sacred and spiritual experience symbolizing the work of God inside of us to make us new. You know, we use water almost every day to clean the outside, right? We take a shower or a bath. We go to the faucet, wash our hands. And so that water symbolizes a cleansing. Well, the baptismal tank, and the word baptism, by the way, was taken directly right from the Greek, baptizo, into English, and it simply means to immerse. So the immersion is a picture of the work that God is doing in each life that you're going to see in just a moment as they come up. It's a picture of going under the water, and the old is buried, and it's gone. And they're raised out of the water, cleansed into newness of life. Now, if you're related to the people being baptized today, you know that they're not perfect, nor are they going to become perfect because of that. But it's a symbol, a hopeful symbol of the work that God continues to do in all of us as we grow into the likeness of Christ, and that's really the vision. So we're excited to share this with you today right here, and those of you that have joined us online, we're so glad. We know your heart is going to be blessed. And I would like everyone to be able to share their story, but in the interest of time, we have one brave soul who has volunteered to share a story. So I'm going to invite Sarah uh, to join me up here on the stage, and we're going to hear a little bit about the journey that she has been on with Jesus, and then we'll proceed into the baptismal tank. So welcome. Let's, let's welcome Sarah. Make her feel welcome. Okay, I'm going to need a second. I'm going to cry, so just be prepared. After a long, difficult, and traumatic childhood, 
marked by the addition of an unusual religion. I turned my back on God and Jesus, living my life as an atheist. However, in the last two and a half years, God has been working to make his presence known to me. This became particularly strong around Christmas Eve this past winter. I have a wonderful best friend for almost 30 years who has always been strong in her faith. I attended service with her that day, and I felt the sermon in part was speaking to me, and I was in tears by the end. After, I began to participate in Sunday service virtually because her church is quite a distance from my home. My friend encouraged me to download the YouVersion Bible app, and I started devotionals and praying daily. I won't share some of the deeply personal times I felt God answer my prayers, but I will share some of my incredible journey. I began to explore churches in my area and have always been curious about Kensington. Online, it asks, are you new to Jesus? Which directed me to Alpha Group. I did this on a Thursday, and the very next Alpha session started the following Tuesday. I took this as a message from God, particularly because I found out the last Alpha at Clinton Township was about a year ago. Alpha was amazing. It was important to me that I be open and honest with our group, and I felt so much support from these complete strangers, and I will always feel a special bond to Steve and Sandy. I started to attend service at Kensington shortly after I started Alpha, and for the first time in my life, I found a church I feel I belong at. Several weeks ago, I again attended service with my best friend at her church. On that particular morning, my devotional centered on Colossians 3.17. Later, during the live sermon with my friend, I became aware that the focus was also on Colossians 3.17. I felt this was God basically screaming at me that I'm following the proper path. I've lived my life unknowingly following the teachings of Jesus because I strive to teach, treat all people with kindness and love and acceptance. Through my devotionals, services at Kensington, Alpha Group, and now Encounter Group, I continue to feel God pushing me along, speaking to me loud and clear. I pray almost every day, and this has brought a sense of calm and peace to me that I've never known. I've struggled with depression and anxiety since my childhood. I'm medicated daily and have seen many therapists and psychiatrists for help coping with these issues. But it wasn't until I opened my heart to Jesus and turned toward God that this new feeling of calm entered my heart and soul. I am ready and thoroughly excited to devote myself to Jesus, and I'm happy to share this moment with my best friend today. And if you ask her, she'll tell you this is a miracle.
Romans 4, 6 says, We were therefore buried within through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. Sarah, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I do. Do you believe that he died and was raised to life? I do. Do you accept him as your Lord and Savior? I absolutely do. Because of your faith in Jesus today, we acknowledge your old self is buried with Christ and that you have been risen to a new life in Jesus. Therefore, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Patrick, are you all in? I am all in. You put your faith in Jesus and trust him alone? I do. And is it your desire to follow him all the days of your life? Yes, it is. Based on your profession of faith, Patrick, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. You put your faith and trust in Jesus alone. Yes, sir. And James, is it your desire to follow him all the days of your life? Yes, sir. And based on your profession, James, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're gonna baptize this couple together. And so, yes. Woo! Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, have to, I have to look at your names again, Benjamin and Nina. So, Nina and Benjamin, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone? Yes, we have. Yes. And is it your desire to follow him all the days that you live? Yes. yes. And based on your profession of faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. We baptize you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Man, it's so awesome that we get the opportunity to join in the celebration with all these beautiful individuals who have taken that next step to publicly declare, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. Can we celebrate them one more time? So every week we come in and we enjoy different services, but we know that that is not possible without our volunteers. And so we are looking for people to take that next step and jump in, whether it's in K-Kids or singing on this stage or even just smiling with your eyes at the door and greeting people that come in. We are looking for people that are willing to take that next step and say, hey, I want to be a part of something bigger. You can meet us out at the Hub if you're interested in that um, and talk to us after service and we'll get you in the right place to go. Now, this week is our fourth week of the family series, and we've been talking about a lot of cool things. We've been talking about uh, what it looks like to have the perfect father, um, our relationships with our parents, as well as different broken relationships and, and mending those. And this week, we're talking about something that I love, and it's sibling rivalry. And we're going to be taking a look at two twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, and really experiencing the tension that they had in their family. And I am excited to hear what Craig is going to say in, in relation to that. But before we do that, I want to share a little bit personally about my siblings. I am the youngest of six. Do we have any other babies out there, youngest? Ooh, we rolling deep out here. Now, babies, okay, I, I just want to let you know. We are the superheroes of the family. We are the smartest, the wisest. We see the way that everybody does, and we learn how to do it better, right? Okay, thank you. Um, so <laughs> we, as the youngest of all my six siblings, I have a song that I want to dedicate to them, and it'll give you a little sneak peek on what it was like to grow up with me, all right? So I'm going to need your help, though. I'm going to teach you a little, a little chorus. This is one of my favorite lines that I used to say to my brothers and sisters. And I'll sing it first, and then you can sing it with me. It goes like this. <clears throat> Here we go. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. You ready? Help me out. Here we go. One, two, three. 
go. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. One more time. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now, and you're not. This is how it felt growing up. This is what I said. Life is unfair, so I just stare at the stain on the wall where the TV's been. But ever since we moved in, it's been empty. Why? Why I? Why I'm in this room? There's no point to explain it. You ready? Here we go. One, two, three, go. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big, yeah, yeah. You're not the boss of me now, hey. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now, and you're There's one more verse that goes like this. Life is a test. I must confess I like the mess that I've made so far. Great on a curve, and you'll observe. I'm right below, right below the horizon. Yes, no, maybe. I don't know. Can you repeat the question? If anybody has their sibling here, I want you to turn to them and sing this to them. One, two, three, go. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. And One more time. So I love to say this to my siblings. I'm not touching you. 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 You can run and tell mom, cuz I'm not touching you. 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 And I'm smarter than you too. Life is unfair. Thank you. So that's my perspective of what it's like to grow up with siblings. But we recorded some of the kids in our community and asked them what it was like for them to grow up with their siblings. Take a look at this video. Why would you say she's the most special sister in the entire world? Because she's my sister. Why would you say he's the most special brother in the entire world? Because he's my brother and I really like him. Pick one word that would describe each other. Sutton, playful for sure. Uh -huh. Emerson is, <laughs> I don't know. Fierce. Fierce? Oh. <laughs> He's really fun and he doesn't like to give up. Which and I like. She's the, she likes sports. Sometimes do you get in arguments? Yeah. Yes. Like uh, about our churches? Usually what we were, what we were going to play. I would say for them, it's cleaning the room. Every time oh, they have to clean the room, they We can't clean fight the room together. <laughs> without fighting. Once we um, fought over who played Bat Lego Batman in a, a, in a video game. What kind of fights do you win? Um, if we were like wrestling, I would usually win that. What is your favorite things to do together if you guys like hanging out with each other? 
Ooh. Like we talk while we get ready sometimes. Yeah. yeah like yeah. while we're getting ready. If we all places. get ready together, like for like something like big, like getting ready together, or if we sometimes we all just like hang out in each other's room. And I like to dance, but Madison doesn't. <laughs> when she has to dance, she's like forced to, and she gets. Exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just make up my own dance, like right there. That's awesome. Usually, like ah. Usually, like, <laughs> like Do you guys tell each other secrets? No, no I don't well, trust him with it. <laughs> who gets in trouble more at home? I'm not really sure. Me neither. <laughs> what do you love about having siblings? Someone to talk to all the time. Yeah. If you yeah. have problems, there's always there to help yeah. you and, and to support like, you. Yeah. And like when I, hmm, not like play with, but like hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm starting to like them a little bit more <laughs> as we're all getting older. That she's nice and funny. And it's also been fun to play with her during the pandemic because otherwise it would have just been boring like the whole time. Like, if you're just doing nothing, there's nothing to do, and you don't have a sibling, there's, like, it's just, like, you can't play with your parents. They're probably working or something. Would you guys say that you're best friends? Uh, maybe. Yes. Just spending time together, just, like, it's, like, when you get older, there's so many more things you can do with each of them. Harper, what do you love the most about Matheson? That she's nice and she keeps me company. Oh, that's so sweet. So, you want to hear a backstory on that video? A behind the scenes thing that happened? Or maybe after the recording? This is my favorite thing. So, I won't mention his name, but uh, two of the siblings belong to one of our teaching pastors at Kensington. And so, when he watched them being filmed and saw how sweet they were and whatever, he was patting himself on the back saying, I guess, I guess I'm doing a pretty good job as a parent here. And then they got in the car to drive home and they fought all the way, <laughs> screaming and yelling, whatever. So. We know, we know that that's only part of the story, right? Um, but I will say, um, my kids are all grown. They're all uh, in their 20s and 30s now. And they, the three of them are literally best friends. If they can hang out with anyone, that's who they hang out with. And that's, I think, one of the greatest joys, I think, as parents, if our kids grow up and they love each other. And in my case, so far, so good. In the days of, you, he touched me, no, I didn't touch me, move over. Mom, those days are gone, gratefully. Some of you are in it right now, and so we pray for you. Um, <laughs> So I want to say uh, as we begin that we're, we're going to focus on a story um, that may feel too narrow for some of you, like maybe you've raised your kids like me. Um, what's, what can I get from this story about this kind of dysfunctional family and their siblings and the sibling rivalry? And I just want to tell you that I believe there's something in there for every one of us. If you're in any relationship with anyone, which is all of us, there is something that we can gain from this story. Now, how we're going to gain it from the story is what I have found to be true of almost every um, story of family in the Bible. This book is not a good book to look for examples of really awesome families. It's just not. And you're going you're to agree with me today after we look at this one story, especially if it's new for you. Um, but, of course, there's lots of good teaching here that help us as parents. But the families that we find that we uncover in the Bible are kind of dysfunctional, to say the least. All of them. So what's the point of looking at a story like this? Because we're going to spend the better part of 30 minutes now looking at this one family, and I would say two things. The first is there is benefit because they will show us very, very clearly what not to do. In fact, I have this idea in my mind that someday I'm going to write a book and it's going to be a collection. It's going to be Families from the Bible. And the, title, and the subtitle is How to Not Parent. 
all right? Every chapter could be a different family, the mistakes they made. So we're going to look at a monumental mistake that this one couple had with their two sons and learn from it. This is what you don't do. This is what you need to shy away from. Uh, the second thing is not just the benefit, but there's hope in these stories. And one of the ways that I find hope in this story that we're going to look at today is that um, this is, the family is Isaac and Rebecca, and they had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And you might recognize Isaac and Jacob's name because God is revealed in the Old Testament. Uh, beginning with Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what that tells me is that even though these families were really messed up and broken and made horrible mistakes in their family, in their marriages and raising their kids, um, God still pursued them. He still loved them. He still forgave them and he still used them. And so that gives me hope. And I think all of us that it, we're, we're never beyond the, the, the reach of God to step into our brokenness and still use them for his purposes and for his kingdom. So we're going to get benefit as we look at what not to do. And we're going to get hope as we see God still use this, this family. But before we go any further, we're going to take a moment just to receive our offering. So as I already said at the beginning, you guys are awesome. You gave COVID relief. Uh, we hit our goal. We are going to be helping so many people. And now the ongoing everyday work that we do in our community and also around the world, you are our partners. And we thank you for that. And we appreciate that you really are all in and we're making a difference in the world. Building the kingdom of Jesus takes people and it takes resources. And we appreciate that. You come yourself and you volunteer and you engage and then you also contribute. So you can give online or through the app or you can drop a check off on your way out or you can mail a check. All the information is there for you on the screen. So again, we, we thank you. So let's begin the story, this really tragic story of a family that just made some monumental mistakes. And so here's how it begins. This, I'm going to start in Genesis 25. And by the way, this story has got so many nuances to it that when I first wrote this message, it was about three and a half hours long. And I figured most of you wouldn't want to stay that long. So I'm going really to one story in the context of this family. But if you're intrigued by what we look at today, you can go to Genesis 25 and read about six chapters. You'll get, you'll get the whole kind of ugly picture here. But here's how it starts. It starts with a birth. When the time came for her, that's Rebecca, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. I always think back then before ultrasound, wasn't that a surprise? She's in labor, boom, wait a minute, oh, another one. In fact, I wonder, did they ever have quintuplets? Can you imagine that? When is this going to stop? You get to number three or four. Well, in this case, it was just two. They were twin boys, fraternal twins, as we'll see. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. By the way, there's a little nugget right there for, to help you be a good parent. Don't have children in your 60s, okay? <laughs> I, my kids are raised. I'm in my 60s. I can't imagine. I feel sorry for, for Isaac in this situation. But So here we are. We've got these two brothers that are born, Jacob and Esau. And we don't really know too much about them, except we see right at the outset, the writer is describing their physical characteristics as being different. Physically, they were different. Right? By the way, do you ever get sucked into that game where someone has a newborn and they want to show you a picture and then they want to, whose eyes do you think he has? Doesn't she have her mom's mouth or whatever? I, I can never see it, so I always just nod and agree. But there's something fascinating about this new New child that shows up, you know, he's been hidden for nine months forming, and now you finally get to look at it. And I remember looking at our kids, and my wife was saying, you know, once she recovered from the, 
trauma of uh, delivery, she was saying, oh, it looks just like, he looks just like you. And it's like, I don't look anything like that. But anyhow, <clears throat> so we don't know too much about their early years, but we'll pick up the story in the next verse. Uh, this is what it says. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Right, you see the difference right away, right? As soon as the sun's up, or maybe even earlier, Esau's out the door. He's got his bow. He loves the open country. He's an outdoors man. I kind of pick him, picture him like Grizzly Adams or Rambo or something, you know, big guy out there. He's getting the game. And Jacob is at home, and it says among the tents, which, by the way, they were a nomadic people at this time, so they didn't have a dwelling that they stayed in. They would move around. So there'd be a collection of tents that they would use. They would sleep in. They would have their food in. And so that was his preference. So he was a homebody, and... Esau was out exploring and experiencing the world. Now, that would be okay, right? That's not a problem. You guys, any of you have more than one child? They're different, right? And we just, don't we just accept the differences? Well, as hard as it is to believe, this is what happens in this family. The next verse says, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, so his one son's out catching it, right? Shooting it, bringing it in. Isaac loved Esau. And the key word in this whole story is the next word. It's a three-letter word. It's but. But Rebecca loved Jacob. It should have been both and, that they loved both of them. They were different. They recognized the difference. They saw the differences. They celebrated the differences. And they loved them both equally. Now, you know, is it possible that they had a favorite? Of course. My kids, you know, growing up always said, am I your favorite? Every child wants to know that. Every, Every child wants to be the favorite. Um, I, I'm certain in my family, I grew up, I was a favorite. I have lots of evidence for that. There were six of us, and I had five siblings. But um, they could have had preferences, like maybe Isaac was also an outdoor guy, and so he loved going out with Esau and hunting, and so they, they formed a bond and a connection. And then, you know, maybe Jacob wanted to learn how to cook and was fascinated with interior decorating. Who knows what it was? But So mom gravitated toward him, and that would be okay, except this statement that Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so you know this is going to be trouble. You, trouble is already here at this point in the story because they had these preferences for their son. And so if you're a parent right now, you, you may have a, a preference, but you don't want to have a favorite. You certainly don't want to get into a situation like that. You know, my family growing up, um, there were, as I said, there were six of us. And I was a second born. Our kids came pretty close together till the end, and there was a couple of surprise babies, I think, at the end. But we were pretty bunched together, and we all were born just like Jacob and Esau, just like all of you. You were born unique. There's something already going on inside of you, right from day one. You're not just a blank slate that gets written on. You bring something, and I brought something. And what I didn't bring was good academic ability. I didn't bring good artistic ability. I didn't bring good athletic ability. The only thing I brought were my good looks. What can I say? <laughs> so I had competition in the home. I, in fact, my, an older bro- my older brother and one of my sisters, all A's, all the way through hu- school, all the way through high school, valedictorian. And we were in a small town. So in the high school, my one brother was only two years ahead of me. Everybody, every teacher had Kurt for classes. And so I come along and Kurt ACE, trigonometry, calculus, chemistry. I flunked, literally algebra, flunked biology, F. I'm talking flunk. And I would have teachers actually look at my, my test results and look at me and say, are you sure you're Kurt's brother? It's like, <laughs> oh, it was awful. 
And then one of my younger brothers was such a great athlete. He was All-State in tennis, went to the state finals. And, 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 and then my youngest brother is probably the best athlete in the family. So I got all this stuff going on around me, and I just felt like I kind of blended into the woods. I was a guy at, you know, and my brother, by the way, Kurt, who was the genius, he decided his senior year to go out and play sports. He didn't all through high school. He made the varsity football team and got a letter. He was incredible. I was still out in the field during halftime with a trumpet playing in the band. I was the band guy, okay? So all that to say, I, as a sibling, I was very aware of what was going on around me with my siblings. Now, I think my parents tried really hard. I mean, report card day was always a tough day for me when there would be comparison, but they did a pretty good job. They probably had preferences, maybe even favorites, but they didn't show it because when you show it, it is so damaging. So in this story, you, you might think, do families actually do this? Does this really happen? I think in most cases, the mistakes we made are more nuanced than this. You know, we're not going to say, oh, I love you, I don't love you. We're not going to act in that way, but we might play out favoritism sometime. Actually, one of the worst stories I heard personally was a friend of mine in grad school. She and I were in a program uh, getting degrees in counseling, and she said she grew up with a sister, and her parents loved her sister, and she, they said she, they hated me. I said, no, nobody does that. She goes, no, they hated me. I said, well, why would you say that? Give me an example. And she said, every Christmas was so painful because they would come down as little girls and then as teenagers, and the Christmas tree would have 20 gifts, and 19 would be for her sister and one for her. So people actually do that. So, you know, this ancient story still has expression today. For most of us, that's not the problem that we have. We don't do that. It, it's much more subtle. Well, let's pick up the story now and continue because uh, some really bad things happen. And one of is he steals, Jacob steals the birthright from Esau. And as a firstborn, he was going to get double inheritance and he was going to be the patriarch of the family when dad passed away. And, and Jacob kind of tricked his brother out of that. So now he's treated like the firstborn. And then it came time for the blessing. And the blessing was something very, very important in families in the ancient world. The father would take the firstborn son, and before he passed away, he would lay his hands on him. He would describe to him the inheritance he was getting, and then he would bless him, and he would really almost prophesy over him the kind of life you're going to have, and God is going to richly bless you. And so that was a coveted thing to get your blessing from your dad. So the time comes now for the blessing to be given. Isaac is old. He's lost his eyesight. He says to Esau, um, go out catch some wild game for me, come in, prepare it, bring it in, and while I, after I've eaten the meal, I'm going to bless you. So this is a big day. So Esau busts out into the open wild to go game hunting. Well, that conversation happened. Rebecca was outside the tent eavesdropping. Remember, she loves Jacob. So she actually um, connives with her son Jacob to trick Isaac into giving a blessing to him, and here's how they do it. They prepared some stew. Um, Isaac or Jacob was smart enough to know that he's not going to come across as Esau without some work. So they put on Esau's clothes, and they put some. His wife or his mother Rebecca puts animal skins on his arms so that he would be hairy, like his brother Esau. So he goes in, brings the stew. Isaac can't see him, but he smells the stew, and he says, "Wow, that was quick. You caught it that quick." He says, "Come over here so I can bless you." And Jacob says, something, and "He says you don't you don't sound like." You don't sound like Esau. Come closer. So he, he leans in and his father embraces him and he smells the smell of Esau and then he rubs his arm and he feels, and he says, well, I guess you are, you are Esau. So he blesses him. And now they leave. Well, you know what's going to happen. 
Esau is going to come home for his blessing, and the ruse is going to be up. And it was. He came home. He went in. He said, Father, I'm here now. Here's your stew. Bless me. And Isaac says, what are you talking about? I already blessed you. And then they realized that they had been tricked. And so Rebecca, or Isaac rather, is grieved. He's mourning that, that he was you know, tricked in this way. And then this is what we're told about Esau. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And Rebecca hears this and she fears for her son. So she sends Jacob away, many, many miles away. And they're separated now. So this is a pretty awful state of affairs, isn't it? You've got the family that's now split. I can't imagine... The, the, you know, I've been married 35 years. I can't imagine the relationship between Isaac and Rebecca with this kind of stuff going on. I mean, what do you, at the end of a day like this, does, does she look in the tent and, and Isaac says, hey, how was your day, Rebecca? She said, great. Don't you remember I stole the blessing and uh, tricked you and connived you and now our son has had to run away because he so wants to kill him? I mean, this is really a messed up family here. And now they have done damage and they've done damage to their sons. And now there's this separation that they have to deal with. So what do we learn from this? What's the thing in my, if I write this book, I, I actually thought of a really clever title saying, um, no buts allowed in a family. Because <laughs> it was that but word, right? They lo- he loved him, but she loved him. But I, I think the lesson here really that, is, um, that we want to take from this is that we should not compare. If you're a parent right now and you're raising children, there are differences. They come that way. Don't compare. Instead, Celebrate. In fact, you want to celebrate the differences. This is part of God's plan. This is really part of, of God's design. When, when my wife and I were expecting our firstborn, we went through a parenting class at our church, and I took something from that that I've never forgotten, and I would say it was the most important thing I learned before God gave me the joy of being a dad. The teacher uh, shared a verse from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, and, and it was a verse that I knew, but I didn't understand the meaning of it. And here's what the verse says. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Well, that phrase, the way he should go, is a difficult expression in the original Hebrew language. It literally, if you were to translate it literally into English, here's what it would say. Train up a child in the way he is bent, like bent. And it was a term that they actually took from nature, where you will notice um, that trees and flowers and plants uh, will bend toward the sun, right? They, as they grow, they bend toward the sun. And so Solomon, writing this proverb, says that your child comes to you already bent a certain way. Train him or her consistent with that. So sure, you know, Esau comes out and he likes the outdoors and he's a hunter. Awesome. Give him a bow and arrow for his fifth birthday and go out and teach him how to hunt. Jacob says, I don't like hunting. Can you show me how you take that wild game and make it into something delicious? And they say, sure, let's show you that. Because they're bent already. They're already bent in a certain direction. So train them in that way. And then when they're old, they're going to thrive. They're going to be hitting life on all cylinders. Don't try to take a hunter and turn him into a cook or a cook and turn him into a hunter. And don't value them differently. It's all, these are both wonderful creations of God. In fact, there's a verse um, in Psalm that says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God designed every person 
before they come into the world with certain innate qualities and characteristics. And life is really about discovery. Parenting is about discovery. You know, if I could, uh, if I could have been the coaches for Rebecca and, and uh, Isaac when they're first having these boys, I would say, okay, let me tell you what your number one job is. Your number one job is to be a scientist and investigate, study, observe, record, write down, figure out who this person is that God gave to you because they came already, certainly some assembly is required, but they came already designed a certain way. So learn that, and as you gather data, begin to parent them in the way they should go, the way they're bent. This really played out in my family right away because uh, my firstborn, when he was like three or four years old, you know, starting to color, was coloring like, like masterpieces. And then he began to draw with pencil, and he could look at something and draw it. But the main thing he loved was storytelling. Well, he loved stories. He loved to watch any story. But then he would write his own. Before he could even write, we would be on a family vacation, and he would be sitting in the back seat, and he would say, get out a pad of paper. I got a story. And he would dictate stories. And then he outgrew that, and he, we got our first video camera. This will date me, but it was the big ones with the VHS. You had to prop it up on your shoulder, right? Well, I would come home from work, and he would be in the backyard with 15 kids from the neighborhood in a movie set he had set up, and lines and actors, and he was acting, he was directing, he was behind the camera. I literally have two big bins this size of all the films he made when he was growing up. So when he was 18 and said, I want to go to New York City to this very expensive school to study acting, I said, God, why didn't you give me an accountant? Because <laughs> how many artists make it, right? Now, my other kids, uh, I don't have time to go into them, but they have their own interests and skills, and they're not the same. And they've pursued those, and we've done the same thing to encourage them. But I was just thinking today, May, May 2nd, um, is a monumental day for my firstborn. He's 33 years old, 34 years old now. And he's been working at film, independent film. He's won some awards at international festivals and uh, best director, best actor, best screenplay. Uh, he hasn't made hardly a penny doing it yet, right? Which is why I wanted an accountant. But today, he's driving, right now, he's driving to upstate New York where he's been cast in his first, fe first feature film. He's pursued his dream. Now, I know a lot, you know, I have another artist in the family, and she's also finally hit it. She's 32 years old. So it's a long journey. Now, the reason I brought this branch up here is I just want you to remember this. You have a child, and they're bent already, and you're going to discover that. And if you don't do that, and you try to make them all the same, if you try to turn an athlete into a musician, you try to turn an introvert into an extrovert, because they also come with that, you do it. What happens if you bend the other way? You break them. It's very easy to break a child by not valuing who they are. I think, I think that there, there's polarization in this family is because Isaac valued one son and Rebecca valued the other. And then they were at odds with each other. Because when you compare, comparison brings competition and competition brings conflict. And so we have these siblings now that have become estranged. Now, I want to say a word about this. So I just, the exhortation to the parents is study your children. Become a scientist. Look at them. Learn what they're like. Learn how they're already made. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. And value all of it. Because we need all of it. But, you know, this lesson extends beyond just family. It extends to all people. I don't know most of you. If I got to know you, we spent time, we got a cup of coffee, I would have a thousand questions for you. And when I walked out, I would, there would be uniqueness about you that I would value and prize. And as a pastor in this church, I might be have an ulterior motive because I'm wondering, where can you fit in here in the body of Christ? Because 
God gave us this beautiful vision through the Apostle Paul in Corinthians of how people can be unified with our differences. In fact, that's what brings actually unity and makes things happen because we are different and all are to be valued equally. The church of Corinth, where we get the book Corinthians in the New Testament, a city in the country of Greece, was a church that had lots and lots of problems. And one of them was this competition and conflict and comparison and who's greater and who's lesser and you know, what really is of value. And so Paul wrote this very extensive chapter in 1 Corinthians, and I'm just going to read an excerpt from you from it for you, of um, how he envisioned, how God envisions us with all of our differences. <clears throat> Paul says, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? You know, if we had all artists and no, musician, no uh, athletes, if we had all mathematicians and no doctors, I mean, it takes all of it together, even in the body of Christ, he says. As it is, there are many parts but one body, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We all need each other and we are all of equal value before God and we are all of equal value in the body of Christ. And I don't say this because it's the right thing to say, but my role right now as a teaching pastor is just one small part of the body and how things are operating here. Right now, and I know they don't want me to do this, but this beautiful lighting and stage, that's Ben, who's in the booth, that's Stan, that's Shauna, all playing a critical role. I, I love this one especially. Eric, who's in the back catacombs behind the stage, is running the video. So when the cameras are switching and all the verses go up there, that's Eric and his team and volunteers that are doing it. And who's in the lobby and our, our recovery, um, celebrate recovery groups and our alpha groups and our greeters and our ushers and all of this. This is Paul was saying. Don't prefer value one person above the other. We're different, but we're all of equal value and importance to the body of Christ and to our community. And to our world, we all play a role. And this comparison and contrasting and competition does nothing but bring conflict and divisiveness. And there's no place for that. God loves each of us equally. He values us equally. He designed us. He made us. He placed us where we're supposed to be. Our job is to discover it and walk in that and live in that. And we begin with our children. We raise our children in that way to do that. And then we live in community. And this church is to be that, a picture and expression of that. Well, before we're done, I want to go back to Jacob and Esau because it's not the end of the story. <laughs> what has happened, so remember that Jacob is sent away by Rebekah, uh, flees uh, to live with an uncle, actually, and he stays there for many years, for decades. And Esau's back in, in the homeland. Jacob is married now. He has children. Um, and it's really sad because Jacob didn't learn the lesson because he, when he has the 12 tribes of Israel and he has Joseph. And he favors Joseph and gives him the coat of many colors, etc. And then the brothers want to kill him. See, these sins tend to get repeated, even though we know it's not right. So, so here we are. Jacob is there. And one day God comes to Jacob and says, it's time to go home. Jacob thinks, well, I, I have one little problem with that. I have a brother who hates me and wants to kill me. But he submitted to God on the way back home. So to try to make it a better homecoming, he sent word ahead to Esau, hey, I'm coming home. I'm very wealthy. I'm bringing gifts for you. They continue to travel the long distance, and word comes back that Esau has received the message, and he's coming out to meet him with 400 men. Scary. That would scare the socks off you, wouldn't it? You think, oh, he's, he's obviously he's bearing a grudge all this time. 
He's coming after me. He's coming to get me. So as they get closer, he starts sending ahead gifts one at a time. It's like a wave of gifts. Um, Goats, sheep, rams, camels even. Hundreds, we're told, in the story in Genesis. It's hard to imagine traveling with all that, isn't it? And now he sends them in waves. And then he gets close up. And you got to wonder, what is he thinking? What is he feeling? What is he fearing? And what is Esau thinking? Like, this is real drama. If you don't know the story, like, what's going to happen? And here's what we're told, Genesis 33. He himself, that's Jacob, bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. There is something so, for me, so amazing and tender as I picture that moment. You know, they're face to face now. And I wish there was more there in the story. Like Esau, I want to ask him, what happened all these years that you were able to let this go? Because he hurt you so bad. He stole everything from you. How could you do that? I don't know. And then what Jacob must have felt, you know, I I began today by talking about forgiveness, like the beauty of forgiveness. What did it feel to be in that embrace of his his brother and and feel the tears rolling down, the hot tears, and to know that they were restored? And to me, it's such a beautiful picture of hopefulness for us, that God is always at work. God never gives up. I, I have to confess something. I didn't, when we looked at the schedule and this week fell to me, I did not want to do this message. I didn't want to do it. Because we have a rift in my family right now that I grew up in. Six siblings, or five siblings. And we, are, we have been so close over the years. Um, in fact, at least twice a year we're all together. Even with our spouses, with our kids, even grandkids, we've, we've kept this every single year for one week at least. And then usually at Christmas, we're all together. We love each other. And then something happened five years ago that created a rift in our family. And after efforts that went on for over a year to try to repair it, nothing could seem to repair it. And so we now live in separation. I I feel a little bit like I'm Jacob, off somewhere, or maybe I'm Esau. And living in the pain of this and just trying to hold on to hope. And that's the second thing I want to share with you because when I read the story preparing for this message and came to where they they embraced and reconciled, I have this picture of that in my own family. That God is not done working. I'm going to double my prayers and my efforts. I'm going to try to humble myself before God more and say, in in my story, am I Jacob or am I Esau? Is there going to be a time when even though it's undeserved, you're going to ask me to forgive? Or is there more repentance you need from me? These two brothers who had no business ever being together came together and they embraced. And that's a picture for me, the hope I hold on to. And I want to ask all of you to think about a relationship in your own life that maybe you've given up on. Maybe you have one like mine. Maybe it's someone very close in your family. I actually know two other staff members as we were talking about this week, um, not at this campus, but another campus that are in a very similar situation. One of the other pastors is. Very similar situation. And and so I know the pain and the, and the almost despair I feel sometimes. It's been over five years now and we're not making progress and life is going on. 
And you know, um, the boys were not there, I believe, to see both of them were together when Isaac died, so Jacob missed that. But we have parents in their 80s who are grieving over this. But God is a God of hope. This story gave me so much hope this week that, that God is always working even when we can't see it. He's working in my family, I believe. He's working in your family and your relationships. And so I just want you to lean into that today. I want you to lean into that in, in your prayer, in your heart to God, that he would bring healing and repair. And I'll join with you in that prayer. God, that's what we ask for. Only you can do this. Only you. And you do it because you are the God of love. And you delight to take what is ugly and make it beautiful, what is in darkness and bring it into light. You can turn, literally can turn, graves to gardens. And we thank you for that in your name. Amen.
I love, I love our worship team because they actually sing and play like they mean it and like they believe it, right? So I hope you know God is the one who can, that you, you go with that faith and that confidence today. And all of you that were baptized, let's put our hands together. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your, your lives and your story with us. Uh, don't forget, Mother's Day next week. We need your photos by tomorrow. Make sure you send those in. We look forward to celebrating that day with you seven days from now. Okay, God bless. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.